0: Hi, Kita Dalid, and welcome to our new podcast. I'm using the Rebbe's Mifsayim podcast, but you know what? One of the Rebbe's most important Mifsas was Mifsav Chinuch, to make sure we're learning all the time. So I'm proud to say that we're doing the mitzvah of Limanataira, and we're doing it on the Rebbe's Mifsayim campaign channel, so that way whoever tunes in to listen will be learning together with us, and we're spreading the great idea of Limonatera every day, wherever you are, whoever you are, so I hope you guys enjoy. I am speaking to you guys primarily, Kita Daled, and we're going to continue with the things that we were doing on the recordings, Chumash, Mishnayis, there will be a Halacha uh, for Pesach added in over here, a section on that, and a section on the Parsha, and at the end, there's a story, so listen up. All right, have a great day, and I hope to be able to make this Vilya neder on a daily basis, and let me know how you enjoy it. Hello, this is going to be the Parsha section, where we'll do a little bit about the Parsha, and every day we'll go through it, so that way, by the time it comes to Shabbos, we will have learned the entire Parsha. This week's Parsha is Parsha Vayikra. We begin the new Sefer. And it begins with Hashem calling Maishu Rabbeinu, Vayikra. It has a small aleph, I'm sure you remember, and it shows on Maishu Rabbeinu's humility. One of the interesting things it says is that Maishu Rabbeinu didn't want to write that Hashem called him. He felt like it would be too much of a sign of being a big shot that of all the people in the world, Hashem is choosing to call him. He wanted it just to say Vayakar, Vayakar, and it happened. That's the word that it uses when Hashem appears to like certain people. And it's just like an appearance, not that he called him. Hashem said, Vayakar, I can't write. You can't write Vayakar in the Torah, but you, Moshu Rabbeinu, Vayakar is the word we use for Bilam When Bilam has a talking to Hashem or Hashem talks to Bilam. he uses the word Vayakar, and he appeared. So Hashem says, you're going to have to write Vayikra. But Moshu Rabbeinu still didn't really want to write it. At the end, he agreed, and that's why the Aleph of Vayikra is very small, and it shows us on Moshu humility. Well, now that we know that, what does it talk about? Well, it speaks about how once the Mishkan was built, it was used, it was ready to begin service, it was beginning the Aveida, and it was actually put up on the first day of Nisan, which is going to be Rosh Chodesh Nisan this year. It's Thursday. We also have some halachas that we'll talk about later of things that we do in the month of Nisan that we have to keep in mind. But in any case, once the Mishkan was built, it was Rosh Chodesh Nisan, Aleph Nisan, and Hashem begins to teach Meishu Rabbeinu the Dinim, that the parsha will speak about, and the first thing that he begins to teach my is one of the most common and important avaydas and things that went on in the mishkan, which is of course, karbanos, and it starts off with the pasuk adam Kiyakriv mikem karban lahashem. If a person brings a karban, and it talks about the four different categories of karbanos, there are uh, karbanos of oila that are burnt up all the way and they only go up on the Mizbeach and are totally burnt. There are shlamim, which everybody gets a piece of. There's Chatas karbanis and asham karbanis, and different details of that. Uh, and that is, in short, what this beginning of this week's parasha speaks about, how if a person is going to bring a Karban and what the dinim are. One last detail I'll add. I'm sure you've heard it before. Adam kiyakriv mi Miken Karban Hashem. It didn't say... Adam mikem kiakriv, which would mean if one of you wants to bring a carbon, here's what the dinim are. Instead, it says Adam kiakriv, a person from you who brings a carbon. What's the difference? The difference is that it sounds like the carbon is coming from you, a person from you who brings a carbon, meaning that you're bringing the carbon from yourself. And the Baal explains, and it's Brata and Chasidis, and the, the Rebbe talks about it, how when a person brings a carbon, there was the physical element, there's the physical part, the animal that is brought. But there's also the idea of a karban is bringing yourself closer to Hashem by taking something from yourself, your Yetzirah, and making it smaller. Or by taking your talents and bringing those closer to Hashem. So yes, a carbon does need to, in truth, be from you. All right, that is our partial thought for today. Okay, so today we're going to learn the Pesukim of Parak Yud, Pasuk Yud Beis. It's Shani. We're going to begin with the Arba actually starting. And how it began was Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu to lift up his staff, and he will raise it up towards the sky for the Arba to come. And the Arba is going to have elements from Moshe Rabbeinu's actions, but it's also going to be caused by Hashem, because Hashem is showing Parai and Mitzrayim that he's in charge of the world. Shem was going to make it very windy, and the wind would be coming from the eastern direction, and it was going to blow in the Arba. When the Arba was done, then they would be blown back with a western wind, and the psokom that we're going to learn today tell us that the wind blew the whole day and the whole night. It was very strong in Mitzrayim, until the morning when they woke up, there was Arba everywhere. All right, Pasik Yud Bays, let's first do it once, just listening, and then another time I will ask you to repeat it. Okay, Bayer Mashem al Mesha. And Hashem said to Mesha, Nitay Yodcha, stretch your hand, Alaratz Mitzrayim, on the land of Mitzrayim, Be Arba with the Arba, or for the Arba. In this case, Rashi says, Bishvil makas for the Arba to come. So we'll translate it for the Arba. be Arba for the Arba. Vayal Alaratz Mitzrayim. And they will go up on the land of Mitzrayim. And they will eat as all of the grass of the earth. But we know it doesn't only mean grass, it means anything that grows. All that is remaining from the Barad, whatever was left over from the Barad, like we spoke about before, that some of the things were bent and some of the things were cracked. Whatever left was left over that got eaten up by the Arba. So this Makkah was a very terrible Makkah because it didn't just eat up everything and make it look bad, but it actually took away whatever things were left for them to eat and whatever food they had and anything that was stored, anything that they had for um, breakfast, lunch and supper, everything was all eaten up and the whole, the whole place looked totally dried out and desolate. I'm going to do it and you repeat it. Very good. Hashem said to Moshe, Stretch out your hand. Al Eretz Mitzrayim, good on the land of Mitzrayim, Ba'arbe, for the Arba. very like we said, Rarashi explains Bishvil Harba. for the Arba. But Al Eretz Mitzrayim, and they will go up on the land of Mitzrayim. Ba'ayochal, and they will eat, very good, as Kol Eiseb Ha'aretz, Olav. The grass of the earth, and it means everything that grows, is Kolasher Hishir Habarod. All that remains from the Barod. Okay, so Hashem told him to do it, and now he does it. Pasikud Gimel, Vayet Misha, and Misha stretched, Esmatehu, his staff, Aleretz Mitzrayim, over the land of Mitzrayim, Hashem, Nihag, and Hashem, blue. In this case, it means blow, but nihag means direct also. A nahag in Hebrew could also mean a driver of a car. In Israel, they call him the nag. In any case, Hashem drove and he blew ruach kadim, an eastern wind. Remember, we had the word kadim before. Kadim is east. So a ruach kadim, an eastern wind, be'eretz in the land, kol hayoyim hahu, all that day, v'chol halayla, and all that night. The morning was Ruah and the eastern wind nasa was carrying Arba the grasshoppers. So again, the wind was coming from which direction? Very good kedem, and it is east. So it was coming in from that direction, which is actually, if you look on a map, you'll see that that's the direction where the yamsuf was, because at the end it's going to be blown back into that area where the Yamsuf was. So this wind was coming from the east direction and it blew all the Arba. Now I'm going to do it and you're going to repeat it and let's go for it. good Gimel Vayet maisha maisha stretched Es Very good. His staff. Al Eretz On the land of Mitzrayim Perfect Hashem Nihag Very good. Shem Blue Ruach Hey, eastern wind. The Eretz Mitzrayim in the land of Mitzrayim. Oh, I, I wasn't looking at my Chumash. Excuse me, sorry. Ba'aretz in the land. called Hayemahu, all that day. Ve'chol halayla. And all that night. Ha'boiker haya. The morning was. Ve'ruach ha'kadim. And the eastern wind. Nasa es ha'arbe. You know that Shoresh, Nasa. Lifted up. Carried the arbe. Okay, so this eastern wind like we spoke about, it carried that very, very strong wind carried into Arba and it came into Mitzrayim and it did a lot of damage. Alright, those are our two psukim for today. We're going to do Parak Dalid, Mishnah Vav again. I know last week we focused on this Mishnah and we did it in two parts. Today I would like to just go over the entire Mishnah in one shot and I'd also like You to think about this. First of all, the topic of the Mishnah. Make sure you got it clear. The topic of this Mishnah is how would they do the mitzvah of Arava in the Besa Mikdash when it fell out on Shabbos? If one of the days of Sukkot was Shabbos, they would still do this mitzvah of Arava, but how would they do it? That's the first thing. You got to keep it in mind that we're talking about how the mitzvah of Arava was done on Shabbos. Second thing to keep in mind is this machlekis. And here's the question. Let's see if at the end you could say the answer. What are the two opinions of how arava was done in the Beis HaMikdash? It's not actually so clear about what they did. There's two opinions of how they did the mitzvah in the Beis HaMikdash. So let's go through the Mishnah and Paragdalid, Dalit, Mishnah Vav, looking in your Sefer or on the computer. And here we go. say you b'chol, as it was done during the weekday, kach, so too, Ma se you It was done on Shabbos. Ella only Shahoyum Lakdin Aisan that they would gather them Arab Shabbis on Arab Shabbas. Umanichim Aesan, and they would place them, Begigios Shell Zahov, in golden barrels, kid, so that Shola they shouldn't become dried out. So first of all, I also wanted to comment. On the quiz that we did this last week, a lot of people caught some of the things, the questions were not so clear, and I saw that the way of answering wasn't so clear. And a lot of you guys got them right, even though the computer said you got it wrong. I looked at your answers, and if you wrote that they um, that they had placed them in the closets, I'm going to give that correct to you because they did put them in golden barrels, and then afterwards they placed the barrels in the closet. So good point over there. Um, and the point here is that they would gather the Aravais, of Shabbos, and they would cut them and they would put them in golden barrels and they would place them in the Beis Mikdash on of Shabbos so that they could use them on Shabbos if it fell out only if it was the last Shabbos of Sukkis. If it was in the other Shabbosim of, of Sukkis, they would actually not push off Shabbos to do this mitzvah. They wouldn't do this mitzvah on a Shabbos only if it was on the last Shabbos. Now here's the second opinion of how they did this mitzvah. And this opinion is the opinion of Rabbi Yechanan ben Breika. He has a different opinion. He says that they never put big giant aravis on top of the mezbeach or on the side of the mezbeach. No, as a matter of fact, they used another branch from a lulav tree, a branch from a palm tree, but it wasn't like a lulav branch that we use as our lulav, which as although it's tall and it's pretty strong, but you could kind of bend it. No, the branches that they would use for this mitzvah it was actually much stronger. It was a very, very stiff branch. It was hard. It was like a like a piece of wood almost. And they didn't go around the mizbeach with these branches in the same way. They would actually just take them to the mizbeach and hit them on the floor. That was the mitzvah. And according to Rabbi and ben they would hit them on the side of the mizbeach, and they would call the day that they would hit it every day, basically, except for if it was on a Shabbos in the middle of Yom Tov or at the beginning of Yom Tov, they would call the day Yom Chibut. Chari'as, the day of hitting the branches. Second part of the Mishnah, here we go. ben Rabbi Yechanan ben Braika says, shall deco Branches of a palm tree, Ho you may be in, they would bring the chaiften I son, and they would hit them, the karka on the ground, Bitsideam is Bayah, on the side of the mizbeach. I say and that day, Nikra it was called. It's the day of hitting the branches. So you now have the recording over here, and you've also had it on the earlier recordings. I'd like you to listen to it until you know it really well. And please call in and read for me the entire Mishnah so you can get your points. I'm looking forward to hearing it. And so our question for today is, number one, what is the topic of this Mishnah? okay if you answered it is how do you do the mitzvah of arava on shabbos then you got it correct second question what are the two opinions of how to do the mitzvah of arava okay let's see if you got it one opinion is they would take those gigantic arava branches the second opinion rabbi Yochanan ben they would take pieces of a lulav branch and they would hit him on the floor. Those are the two opinions. Shkoyach. Halacha. For today, we're going to talk about the Dinim of the month of Nisan. Coming up to Chaydash Nisan. The month of Nisan, first of all, we should know, is a very special month. It is the month that we had the Geul of Mitzrayim. And it says, aviseinu. Our forefathers were redeemed in Nisan. O asidin li we will once again be redeemed with the coming of Mashiach, may it be already now in Adar, but there's a very, very strong connection to Mashiach in the month of Nisan as well. Okay, so Nisan has a couple of things. Since there are so many days of Yom Tev, of Pesach, and the first 12 days we talk about the way the Nisim dedicated the Mishkan and that he used it for the first time. So we don't say any Tachnon in the whole month. So, number one, don't say tahnun throughout the month of Nisan. Don't bang your heart in Shemina And for those of you who know about Tachnun after Shemina don't say that. We also don't fast at all in the month of Nisan. It's a happy month. So, it says that there are, there are no fast days. Some people used to fast on yard sites, or if they, uh, and other reasons, they would not fast. So, they would fast, but we don't fast in the month of Nisan unless... There is a chassan or a kala getting married in the month of Nisan. They could fast in the month of Nisan. All right. And in the month of Nisan, we have a minhag to say the nasi every day. And that's really a longer conversation, but I just want you to remember that we say the nasi every day. I'm sure you remember from year to year. They put it up on the board or they give you a copy. It's in Yisidr, a little piece of uh, chumash, which speaks about how each nasi brought their karban on one day of the beginning of the month of Nisan. As Pesach is coming up, and we're making preparations, we clean up our houses, we make sure that we don't have any chametz in our drawers or in our our cubbies or in our clothing. Actually, you got to check out your pockets, make sure you don't have chametz in there. So one of the big things that we do before Pesach is we sell our chametz. You actually can go online and sell it. If you don't go to a Rav, you can go on the computer. On Chabad.org, there's a place to sell your chametz. And what the Rav does when he gets your paper with your address he actually goes to a guy, and the guy agrees to buy all of the Chomets that 's in your home that you 've put aside and At first, he just buys it for a small amount of money but the the condition is that if he really does want to buy the Chomets and keep it afterwards forever, he would have to pay whatever your Chomets is worth and it 's a real sale as a matter of fact it 's considered such a big deal that you should just know that if at any point in time a geishisha guy pops on to your house, he knocks on the door, you you could actually let him in if he's the guy who bought the chametz and you have to let him in and he has to go into your closet if he wants to and he can have the chametz. Well, for this reason, there are some people that are a little hesitant when it comes to the idea of selling chametz. Last year, I think it was last year, maybe it was two years ago, there was a big breakthrough, something that happened that had never happened before for many years. There's a Jewish man whose name is Mr. Bergson and he owns a gigantic company in Manhattan. It's called Manhattan Beer Co., and they distribute a lot, a lot of beer to all kinds of stores. If you go to Ralph's, they have beer, or whatever stores they've got, Vons, Albertsons, whatever stores they have on the East Coast in New York, and New Jersey, and Connecticut. You've got a lot of big stores with a lot, a lot of uh, different kinds of beers and mashka, which are all chametz because they're made out of of barley and wheat and all kinds of things. So for many years they've been trying (laughs) to get this man who's the head of the company to make sure that his chametz is sold because if he owns chametz and it isn't sold, so not only is it a problem for him, it's a problem for you. If you wanted to go afterwards to the store and to buy the chametz that belonged to a Jew on Pesach, you're not allowed to. You're never allowed to benefit from it. It needed to have been destroyed or needed to have been sold. And if it wasn't sold, you can't get it. So for that reason, a lot of Frum people don't, in New York, in New Jersey, they weren't buying for like two or three weeks after Pesach. They would not go to any store and buy a beer or a mashka or whatever for a shalom zacher or for a Fabrengen because they knew that it most likely came from this guy. He's not a Frum guy, the Manhattan Beer Co., and what's going to happen is if they buy the beer it wasn't sold on Pesach it's a problem so at the same time many from Mashkichim and Kashrus companies were trying to reach this man and trying to convince him to sell his chametz for Pesach now what's the big deal why was it so hard for him well this guy we'll call him Simon or Shimon he said when he heard about it the first time he said
1: this sounds
0: like a pretty serious contract if I sell my Hamets, who knows if they may plan on taking over my company. I mean, based on the legalities of this document, the non-Jewish man who's buying my company for whatever, even if you're gonna give me $100 or $1,000, my company is worth close to millions of dollars. He's gonna buy my company. He could He could take me over and kick me out. How do I know that I am gonna be protected legally? And the rabbis would try to reassure him. And he just said, this is too risky. I'm sorry, I'm not religious, and I appreciate everything you do, but I just can't do it. This was going on for years. Other rabbis would call him,
1: Rib Shmuel or Reb Shimon, we want to talk to you about up and selling chametz. We should sell you chametz, no? And he'd hear them. he would say to them, I'm not interested. I appreciate your, but but please, you know what? I've been asked many, whatever your name is, you should just know by selling your chameds, it's a grace of mitzvah. Oh, it's really great. I don't I don't want to do that right now. But, but by not selling your chameds, it's a grace Avera. Well, I, I don't know what that means, but have a good day, clunk. What an Avera.
0: They couldn't convince him. There was a, a Frum Lubavitch Mashgiach who is not just a Mashgiach; he's a rabbi. He's in charge of the uh in New York, one of the head guys over there in the OK Kosher, Kosherist organization. They see OK on your food. You ever see OK on your food, in the box, on the drinks? That kosher organization, it's run by the Lubavitchers in Crown Heights. This rabbi's name is Rabbi <coughs> Kalman Weinfeld. He's a real guy. And I heard his interview, uh, he was talking about what happened. Because he became famous as the guy who was able to pull off the sale of the Hametz. And I'll start you off with this today and we'll continue the rest tomorrow. What happened was,
1: here's how he says his story. Hello, my name is Rabbi uh, uh, Kalman Weinfeld. And I'm very, uh, very, very much, I love that Yidden should do mitzviz. And I'm working for the OK Kashros organization. And for many years already, it's bothering me that they don't have a way to get the Yiddish guy from (coughs) the beer company to agree to sell all the Chomets. I didn't understand it. Why can't they get him to sell the Chomets? So, you know, I already speak to a few people. They said that they tried, they speak to him, and nobody is having a You know what? I decided I'm gonna do a little research. And maybe I could figure out a way to approach him in a different kind of a way. And, you know, first thing I did was I thought maybe if I'm going to be very nice on the phone, I'm going to call him. I can get to speak to him in the office and to convince him. I called his secretary and I said, hello, this Rabbi Weinfeld. The secretary is saying, who is this? I said, I'm a very nice guy. I just want to talk to Mr. Shimon. Shimon, Shmuel, whatever it's his name. Oh, she said, one of you. Uh, He's not interested. I said, but I'm a very nice guy. I want to help him. I want him to to be happy. (coughs) And she finally, finally convinced me to to put him on the phone. I get on the phone. And as soon as I start to say, I'm from the Kashrus organization, he says, goodbye. No, a Chosid never give up, right? Does the Chosid give up? No. So I was thinking, thinking the next level, what
0: I'm going to do. I hope you're understanding my story, even though I'm saying it with my Israeli accent. But this is how I heard it. He says, he decided he's going to actually find out more about this guy personally, how he lives, what he's
1: like, what does he like, and where, where's his house? So, he continues. I find out that Reb Shimin, he is a yeke. And he's a very nice guy. Everything is very exact by him. And he lives in Manhattan. And from a connection of a connection, I find out exactly where is his address. He's living in one of the big skyscrapers in Manhattan. And they have very fancy apartments. And I decided I'm going to go to visit him in his apartment and try to see if I couldn't, you know, to catch him. <coughs> now, this day that I decided I'm going to go to visit him, it was a Sunday. This Sunday, it was the only chance I can visit him in the night. And the whole day, I was busy working in a hotel to make sure they had the kosher organi- The best cash was, because there was a big, big dinner going on and I was in charge as the mashkiach to make sure the food was kosher. While I was there, I realized that this Mr. Bergson, he really, really likes, because he's a guy, I think <coughs> he's going to like a kokosh cake. Ooh, a delicious chocolate kokosh cake. So I decided I will figure out a way to making a kokosh cake. <coughs> so in the middle of while I'm in the kitchen of the hotel, while I'm washing and watching everybody that the food is kosher, I called my mother in Yerushalayim, and I asked her Ima, can you give me a recipe for a kokos cake? She said to me, Calman, why do you need a recipe for a kokos cake? I said to her, I need to make a kokos cake for a Yiddish guy. I hope if he eats the kokos cake, he will be happy and he will do a mitzvah. Anyways, my mama said, Hatsloche. And she gave me the best recipe for the kokos cake. Anyways, the mice continues, it's quite long. We'll have to continue part two of what happens tomorrow.